Welcome, fans of the Justice League universe. My name is Sam. My name is Rebecca. And we are two members of the JLU podcast team. The other contributors to this episode are Alessandro Maniscalco and Sydney. Together, we analyze the DC films released by Warner Brothers Studios. You can find all of us on Twitter, and you can follow the show at JLU Podcast. In this episode, we are going to discuss scene 46 of Wonder Woman, directed by Patty Jenkins. This is the big scene with Ares uh, before the next big scene with Ares. So right now, we're going to mainly focus on Sir Patrick, a.k.a. Ares, uh, and his villain monologue. And then we'll save most of the fighting for the next episode. So this one is really going to be the temptation from the God of War. Or is it the God of Truth? Uh, we will try to figure that out. <laughs> um, but in terms of this scene here, uh, you know, it's mostly Sir Patrick talking and then showing visions to Diana. Uh, we also see a couple of little glimpses of the Odd Fellows and what they're up to in the meantime. So it's kind of setting the stage for the next scene. Um, but let's talk about what the scene does overall. I mean, one thing it does functionally is it puts the Odd Fellows into place and it kind of gives us a little bit more information about what the uh, Germans and what Ludendorff were planning and stuff like that with the poison gas and trying to hit London and seeing the timer on the plane. And so all of those will be important plot points um, for the ending, you know, the next parts of the movie. But the main content of the scene is, you know, the very standard kind of practice, the trope of having your villain monologue. Let's hear from the villain. How does his mind tick? What was his intention? What was his purpose? Uh, and so that's what this is really going to share with us. But there's this kind of wrinkle of, do we believe him? Like, like normally when a villain gives a monologue, the kind of rule for the audience is he's actually revealing what he was really trying to do and we can believe him at his word. In this one, even when he's saying things, there's kind of this question of like, even now, is he still lying? Or, you know, is this actually, he might be lying to try to trick Diana into something, or maybe he's actually telling the truth now, and he's honestly trying to win Diana over to his side. I Yeah, I struggle with this because I don't know that he's telling a lie here. In his monologue, when he's talking about how mankind ruined the world, uh, mankind did all these things on their own, that the wars were started on their own, that he, he just kind of gave some ideas and some formulas and weapons and all that, but he didn't really have to pull the triggers. Mankind was doing it on their own. And I think there is some truth to that, that uh, mankind can do those bad things. I think that is one of the, the things that is discussed very heavily in this film is that there's good and bad in everyone. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I think Ares, when he's talking about that, I think there is a little truth in what he has to say. Yeah, so I, I'm kind of with you where I think there's a lot of truth, actually, in what he's saying. And I think he is kind of revealing his at least pretty big parts of his actual motivation of what he's trying to do. But he then he also says, I'm the God of truth. And I think that's a lie. So like he's at least lying when he says, I'm the God of truth. But then I think a lot of his other stuff is true. So I don't know. We'll go through some of it in detail. Alessandro from our team... I believe that he thinks, like, most of this is a lie. Like, uh, when he says, I'm the God of truth, that's a lie. And then he thinks, you know, when he's saying, hey, we would make this world beautiful and stuff without men. I think Alessandro says, oh, that's just a lie. Like, Ares actually wants men to be here causing violence and destruction because that feeds him and stuff. And he, so he thinks kind of most of it is actually just lying to try to, like, get Diana to let her guard down or not stop him or whatever. Now, I think, personally for me, 
the stuff about like Ares wanting men around so that they have wars, which feeds his power. I feel like that's actually Alessandro drawing in from the comic books because in the comics that is part of, uh, in several iterations of Ares, he gets his power from conflict and from mankind like worshiping war and going to war and that kind of stuff. But in this film, I don't think they ever let us know that like he is powered by the conflict. I don't, I don't ever, I didn't ever see that explicitly. I guess I should say. Yeah, in the film, it seems like Ares just doesn't like mankind. That he thought the world was uh, more perfect without the world of men and and what uh, mankind did to each other. I think Ares had this idea of this this perfect place without mankind, and so I. I it seems like, according to his monologue, that that's, that's what he wants to get back to. He wants to get back to that place of almost like a paradise. And I think what's really interesting to me about this scene and his temptation of Diana is it's very much sort of emulating the temptation of Adam and Eve in the Garden of, of Eden, that mm-hmm. uh, s- Satan tempts Adam and Eve with the, the tree of knowledge that, oh, God has kept this information from you and you can have all of this information. You can have all of this knowledge about what's going on in the world if you if you just uh, uh, take a bite of the fruit and, and then you'll have everything. There's this temptation uh, that they have. They're in paradise and then they have the, the, the fall, the first sin. And then that's what causes the 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 rest of the sin according to the bible and so uh, that's what opens us up as mankind to to sin and so i think it's really interesting that we do have this temptation of diana and he is very much aries is played very much as the the satanic figure who is tempting her mm-hmm. and um so i really like that in terms of his character and the, and the way they visually show it is is him with like diana and aries with the lasso and they're standing in this place that looks uh desolate and destroyed and then he he shows her like oh it could be paradise again it could be beautiful and perfect again if you wanted to be a part of this so i think the the way they played him here was great but i think he's also a huge hypocrite because he says that he wants diana to help him in suffering pain and destruction and he blames it all on mankind and i just keep thinking well you contributed to that like mm-hmm. it's not just mankind you did contribute to some of that they may have started the wars but you had a plan in that and that's uh, also something i think that gives him a little bit of a trait of of satan that there is mm-hmm. um something about him that uh, causes him to to push those traits onto mankind so i i think it's just it's very interesting that they did it visually and in the dialogue that they played him as this like satanic figure yeah i definitely got some of those overtones as well um with the temptation and dangling something beautiful like uh it's a really sly temptation where you don't try to convince her to do something bad you try to actually convince her to do something that you're trying to say is good. Like, wouldn't it be good to save the world and to bring all this beauty back? And like, and when the lush green is shown visually, you can kind of think of Themyscira and how beautiful that looked and stuff. And so he's kind of saying like, hey, wouldn't it be great to take the beauty of Themyscira and the beauty of what this world could be and stuff and spread that around, you know, the globe. So that seems like a good thing to do. But then like what he's kind of, glossing over is like oh yeah and we're we're literally destroying all of the people that might live on the planet that sort of thing um and so to me i just wonder like okay you could this is actually true in reality 
the environment might be doing a lot better if mankind didn't have all this industry and burning all the fossil fuels and doing all the stuff that mankind does. But if there wasn't any people, then who is really enjoying the planet? You know, I think humans and our consciousness and our, you know, our ability, ability to appreciate, you know, things around us and each other and our experiences, that means it's like it's worth it to have some of the damage to the environment, but we also try to get a lot of joy and experience out of it. So it's like, yeah, you could have a perfect Garden of Eden, but if nobody lives there, then that seems like a waste. I know he's thinking, I guess he would live there and Diana would and maybe some other like godlike figures, but that seems like a pretty elite club, you know. <laughs> That's a really good point that who who would enjoy this world if he made it perfect again? Who who would be around for that? Would it just be Ares and Diana? I guess it would. And, um, and yeah. I, I think you're right about the temptation being something that would be appealing to Diana, that she she does want to get rid of the suffering and the pain and the destruction but he's, he's going about it in a way that she uh, doesn't want to have any part of. Yeah, and I, I want to go back to what you're saying, too, and we were talking about with um, whether he's telling the truth or not. We talked about him being just kind of resentful of mankind and sort of like, I wish mankind was never created. I wish it was just back to when it was just the Greek gods sort of thing. It's not just him saying it. It also is corroborated by Hippolyta's um, fairy tale kind of story at the beginning. Because the way Hippolyta tells the history is also like, oh, Ares was kind of annoyed or angry that Zeus created mankind and stuff. So it seems like Hippolyta and the stories that the Amazons tell matches with how he describes it, where he kind of wishes that mankind was just gone and that it was just the gods. You know, it, it was mankind that ruined, you know, this, you know, world that we had. So for me, that's another kind of reason to think there's a lot of truth to what Ares is saying here. I just don't think he's actually the god of truth. I think he actually is still the god of war. Yeah, no, I, I think he's the god of war for sure. And uh, but I, but I think even looking at the characters that we have in this film, I think they're good examples of the uh, that back up the story that Hippolyta uh, tells to Diana. That we we see that they all have shades of gray. Even even Steve Trevor and the Outsiders, they all have that shades uh, those shades of gray. And so in that, I think that Ares does tell the truth. Yeah. Um, he's also wrapped up in the lasso. Um, so you could think, well, he must be telling the truth all the way because the lasso is around him. But it's unclear whether the lasso would work on a god. You know, it might work on men or something like that. But um, so I don't think that's a ironclad case to say he's in the lasso. So everything he says must be definitely true. Uh, I don't think we can't necessarily conclude that. Yeah, he does uh, sort of manipulate the lasso a little bit, but I think that's more to uh, give her that vision of what the world could be. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know if that could manipulate what he's telling her. I don't know if he could overthrow the lasso by what he's doing with sort of that electricity that's coming out of his fingers. Um, but yeah, it, it sort of does make me question that a little bit. And it's interesting to think about Diana, like, does Diana assume that he's telling the truth and that these visions are a true potential reality because Diana believes in the lasso? You know, Diana is used to, if I'm holding this lasso and if I'm like using it, um, I can believe whatever is said. So for her, it must, it, it almost makes the temptation that much stronger because it's coming from a trusted source in terms of the lasso, like being wrapped around this guy. So I think that's kind of an interesting dynamic. Yeah, it makes it, what he's saying, much more real to her. Mm -hmm. 
let's go through it. Um, we've been hitting on some of it, but let's kind of go through it uh, line by line a little bit here. So he says, I'm not the God of war. I'm the God of truth. Um, and now we've uh, talked about this before when we did our kind of overall analysis. And uh, we've actually had some interactions with Doc from Man of Steel Answers about this, where when he says, I'm the God of truth, I'm trained mathematically in like proving and, you know, logic and all that kind of stuff. So for me, as soon as he says, I'm the God of truth, I can say like, okay, well, if I can pin him down in any sort of a lie, then that means he's not the God of truth. And then that means I know he's lying and he's not actually God of truth. So I like immediately when I'm watching this movie, I start thinking like, okay, is there anything that he's definitely lied about? Uh, and I feel like he has definitely lied about stuff. For example, he later says that Steve left nothing for Diana, but that's not true because he left her the watch. And more than that, he left her memories and love and all that sort of thing. He changed Diana, so he left things uh, with Diana in multiple ways. So for, for Ares to say, he left you nothing, that's a lie. So then to me, I'm like, okay, he's not the God of truth. I'm kind of assuming that the God of truth would not lie. So for me, I'm kind of, I'm convinced he's not actually the God of truth. Um, Doc from Man of Steel Answers says... You know, with the lasso and with that kind of stuff, it's like, truth doesn't always mean, like, factually true. Truth could always just mean that the intention was, like, to say something accurate. So, if I say something and I'm mistaken about it, it doesn't mean I actually lied. It just means I, oh, dang it, I, I misspoke or I said something that I didn't realize later was wrong. So, you, you could definitely get kind of some nitpicking, fine nuance between what a lie is, what the truth is, what the lasso can actually compel from people or not. Um, but for me, I'm not buying him as the God of truth. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I also have to consider perspectives versus facts. You know, mm -hmm. uh, is he just giving us his perspective of events or is he giving us what, what is the truth in terms of what is factually true? What do we know is an objective truth? When I, when mm -hmm. I think of truth, I think of an objective truth th mm -hmm. that won't sway from from anything else that no matter what side of it that you were on it's going to be true no matter what mm -hmm. and i think a lot of what aries gives us in this monologue is from his perspective he may mm -hmm. say uh, factual things like well i i told them things i manipulated them a little bit like that's a fact we did see that with dr poison that he sort of whispered things into her ear mm -hmm. uh, in order to make her weapons but uh, I think a lot of this is from his perspective about how mankind stole the world and um, that he, he was this wise one. He considers him so wise that he was the only one uh, that could see what was going on. Mm -hmm. A lot of that is from his perspective, from his point yeah. of view. So uh, that's, that's how I look at it. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and the mankind stole this world from us is interesting because the sort of intention was the gods and men could live together. Uh, there's no reason they had to be ex excluding the other. And Ares is the one that like kind of killed the gods, if we believe Hippolyta in the stories and stuff. So, if anything, Ares is like more responsible for the gods losing this planet because he just killed the gods, you know? So, that doesn't seem like mankind's fault. It seems like Ares didn't deal very well with mankind, and Ares lost his cool, and that's what lost the world from the gods and that's what weakened him and stuff it was not mankind's fault that Ares got weakened it's because Ares was literally trying to mow down all the gods <laughs> yeah Ares didn't really think that through I, I guess you know in his mind from his perspective it is all mankind's fault because he's like the reason I went off and went into a rage and stuff was because of mankind you know so for him he can 
rationalize it by blaming everything back on mankind. But it's kind of like, dude, get a little perspective here. <laughs> um, you know, you, you've got to look at yourself a little bit on some of the some of the blame game. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. He's really, from his perspective, he's thinking like, I could see the problems. I was trying to stop the problems and other people didn't see it. So I had to kill them. Like <laughs> That's probably how he thinks about it was like, I'm, I'm the only one that sees what's happening. Uh, so it's your own fault if I kill you for not seeing it for the other gods and stuff. It's really kind of frightening because all throughout history, but especially now you really see a lot of people that get caught up in conspiracy theories where they will believe something and it's really like factually it's not based on anything at all. Um, but they will, if they start to act on it, they feel very like vindicated to themselves. Like, hey, I'm acting on this thing and it's very important and I'm the only one who sees it. Like, I'm the one that's being wise enough to see this conspiracy that's going on. And everybody else is like, whoa, like you're kind of a little bit off the deep end and you don't have very good evidence for what you think you know. Yeah, the the perspectives there can uh, be tainted one way or the other. And I think it, for me, it goes back to that objective truth. If you have um, an objective truth, it's going to be true no matter what perspective it is. So yeah, Aries, Aries didn't seem to uh, value something like that, like objective truth. Yeah, and the objective truth, like uh, if you're holding on to something that you see and nobody else sees... And then if you're presented with evidence, the uh, the answer can't be all of the evidence is in on the conspiracy. Like, oh, they got to you too. Or, oh, they got to all the scientists too. Or, oh, they got to all the newscasters. Like, uh, we're trying to show you like objective evidence that you're wrong about your conspiracy. And yet, you know, you're just saying every single piece of evidence is in on the conspiracy. That's not a good sign. <laughs> but uh, see, man, Aries... Aries gets me down on down these rabbit holes and stuff. He's a he's a bad influence. <laughs> but uh for him, yeah, he's you know, he's weakened. Uh, that's kind of interesting too, where we do start seeing this scene has lots of visual stuff woven together. Um we see flashes of things from the past, we see flashes of possible uh visions and stuff like that. Um so it's interesting to see the uh the weakened Aries and uh David Thewlis here, you know, playing the part. He has a really great voice for this scene. But it's also cool to see him uh, a little bit, you know, we see him in his Ares garb. I can't really recognize David Thewlis there, but he's got the helmet on and stuff. And then we see David Thewlis, you know, all weakened and injured. And that's where you can kind of recognize him. Um, So I thought that was a nice moment for David Thewlis. And uh, to me, I thought he looked good in the part. And I thought his voice was really good. And this scene is one where his voice, I think, really works well for his delivery of all these temptation stuff. He speaks very quietly and very patiently and very methodically. And I think that's what makes it so much scarier is he's not yelling. He's not threatening. Although he does that a little bit later when they actually do fight, he is very calm. And it's it's unsettling. Mm-hmm. And uh, for me, as a, as a fan of uh, Aries from the, the George Perez run or the George Perez run, however you pronounce his name, mm-hmm. uh, I've, I've heard both, uh, but he... He does look like Ares from that comic book run in the the sequence of events. And I really like that because we don't, later on in uh, the fight between Diana and Ares, we don't really get to see him as his like comic book Ares self. And so it's nice for me to see him in that, that sort of blue garb with the helmet and all of that. Mm-hmm. So I, I do like that they um, honored his look in the comics. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's good. And then 
as uh, Sir Patrick, he, you know, whispers to Dr. Maru, as you mentioned before. So I thought that was interesting that he's in the Sir Patrick persona for that one, um, which I think makes more sense because it would be weird to see, like, the Ares. Well, and really, he's been operating as, like, Sir Patrick amidst the humans and stuff like that. He hasn't been, like, flying around with the helmet on and the cape and everything. So he has been operating stealthily, you know, as a person amongst uh, everybody and also he has some metaphysical powers where he can kind of like have his presence somewhere and can exert a little bit of influence, you know, in some sort of super natural sort of way. And I think the fact that he has been masquerading as Sir Patrick amongst mankind, it gives him more ammunition to his perspective, like we were talking about, for him to understand that, oh, yeah, mankind is good and bad. Some of them mm-hmm. are really bad. Some of them don't need a big push. Some of them just do these things on their own. And I think because he's lived as a, quote, man in man's world, he would have a really good understanding of that, a, a better understanding mm-hmm. than Diana would. Hmm. Yeah. I think it was a really good choice for the filmmakers that they, you know, they're showing us all these different images and they're woven together really nicely. Um, it's some good storytelling kind of stuff. But I thought it was smart that the filmmakers go back to a close-up on David Thewlis. Like, we see Sir Patrick's face when he says the line, but I never made them use it. Like, when he says, I've given them, you know, ideas for poisons and weapons, but I never made it made them use it. He has this smug look on his face, like, it's really their fault. Like, it all goes back to mankind, like, they're the ones to blame, you know? And like you said, he's not really seeing... <laughs> He's not really seeing that, well, you're part of it, even though mankind is also, you know, doing it. But he just seems so smug. And it also makes the line pop out more because it's not just a voiceover. We actually see Sir Patrick. And so it really makes it hit us like, oh, he never made them use it. So it's not totally his fault. We're kind of to blame. Um, Like Diana's kind of realizing, you know, humans have a lot of the blame on themselves as well. And Ares is kind of confirming that, like, yeah, they still have, you know, an element of free will, even when I kind of tempt them with negative things. So uh, I think that's an important line in the scene, and I thought they emphasized it well. Yeah, I think the intention of using the close-up there when he says that line, I think it's a very good choice because it does connect us back to, to Ares and his part in all of this. Yeah, and he, he continues to say they start these wars on their own, like... Uh, this is really men's doing, and he's trying to get Diana to also blame men for all this stuff. And it's kind of funny, too, then we go back into some of the shots, and we see Samir amidst all these bombs. And so Ares just said, like, men do this on their own, and now we see those weapons of war uh, and the timer, you know, for this destruction. So that was all men creating that and setting it all up and stuff and starting this war. But Ares is there with these slight little nudges or at least giving them some ideas to make it even more destructive the sequencing of this is really important in terms of the the scene and and where this is placed because this is coming off the heels of diana seeing the destruction of the uh gas yeah and what that did and the fact that ludendorff Uh, was the one who initiated all of that and that mankind was responsible for making those weapons. And so she is very vulnerable now to buy into what Ares is telling her about mankind. So I think the, the way that they, where they placed all of these scenes back to back is really important. And uh, I think very, very well thought out because it puts Diana in a place where 
maybe she could buy into what he's telling her and maybe she would uh, join him. Yeah, and that's why for me, I think he's like mostly telling the truth from his perspective. Um, because to me, that makes sense for why he encouraged and helped Diana go to the front. It's because he wants her to see as much of the destruction that mankind has caused. And then he's thinking like, all right, she saw death and destruction on the beaches of Nemiscira when men arrived. It was not a good thing. And then she went to this dirty city. She saw these selfish people who are supposedly like the heroes, but like some of them are for profit and have their own problems and stuff. The generals are horrid. Um, then she sees the wounded. She sees, you know, the innocent. She sees how they treat animals. She sees the mud. She sees the trench. Then she sees the village. And, you know, she sees all this stuff. And then it's all capped with this gassing of a whole village um, of people that she actually interacted with and knew to some extent. So to me, it makes sense that like Ares would be like, all right, I'm going to like make sure you go this way and see all this horrible, atrocious stuff. And then I'm going to come to you and say, isn't this horrible? Aren't mankind horrible people for doing this? It's mostly their doing. Join me and we can like make it a much more beautiful world. So to me, it all kind of makes sense from start to finish to think of Ares that way. Um, I know Alessandro has a little bit different view on that, which is, you know, fine. It can be multiple interpretations. Now, I wanted to ask you, Rebecca, when he's setting this temptation up, do you think that the temptation would have been even more potent if he would have explicitly brought up the Amazons and said something like, the Amazons could also join in this green world, or, you know, you could have your sisters and have the kind of, you know, beauty and equality and stuff of your civilization that could be more widespread if these men, you know, man's world wasn't in the way? Do you think that would have been more effective? Because visually we see as an audience we see the connection to Themyscira but he never like explicitly makes that part of the bargain I think that would be something that Diana would consider I think I I don't know that it would put her on his side but I think she would think about it I think it would be something that would be very very tempting for her Mm -hmm. but I think the thing that Ares doesn't uh, take into account I think you're right I think he put her he he allowed her to go into these situations in the war so that she would see what mankind was capable of but I think what he didn't anticipate was the fact that she would also witness mankind being full of love and being full of friendship mm-hmm. and that's what Diana has witnessed she's had that night with Steve she's met the outsiders and seen that they are friends and that they are compatriots you know even she's even bonded with them a little bit and so she feels strongly for them and she feels like they are her friends mm-hmm. and so i think that that's something that Aries even though he's lived as a i guess you could say he's lived as a man. I don't think he's made those kinds of connections. I wouldn't. Right. I wouldn't think so. Yeah. So uh, I think that's his. That's his big blind spot. Right. Like I think it just never occurred to him that Diana would see those good sides as well as the bad side. Because I think for Ares, he just is mad at mankind and jealous of them and wishes they were gone. And like I think he just only sees the negativity, and it never occurred to him that there might be another point of view. That like, hey, buddy, there might be another way to look at this stuff, you know, (laughs) that there is some good with the bad and that you can actually choose to focus on the good and try to like spur the good on more. Like he sees the bad and then he actually kind of encourages the bad, but she sees the good and she decides I'm going to actually try to do my part to inspire the good or at least, you know, choose that side of things when I see both sides. 
The only reason that I think maybe Ares doesn't use the Amazons to tempt her is maybe because he thinks the Amazons are beneath him. Maybe he, he sees himself higher than them because he is a god. So uh, that, I, I guess he, his temptation was based on the fact that mankind and even the Amazons, maybe he would put the Amazons on the same level as mankind yeah. um, in terms of being beneath the gods that yeah. he, he saw Diana as his, yeah. as his peer. I think if he was just lying his, you know, through his teeth for this whole temptation, I think he would have just thrown the Amazons in as well. Like, hey, we could make a great world. We could end all the suffering. You could have all your sisters, everything you love. Like, if he's just lying and blowing smoke, he might as well blow as much smoke as he can. <laughs> um, so, but no, I agree with you. I think he does kind of look down at the Amazons as well. Like, you know, oh, you know, Zeus's thing or whatever. I think he's actually mostly telling the truth in trying to tempt Diana. And she's a demigod, so maybe she's more on his level. And I think he actually doesn't respect or value the Amazons, and so that's why he doesn't bring it up. Because I think he's being mostly genuine in actually like putting this forward to Diana. I think he might actually like be willing to do this if she would join him. Yeah. Uh, another question for you: What if he said we just need to sever the degenerative bloodlines and just choose <laughs> the righteous people to continue forward in civilization? What do you think the response would be to that one? Well, it would be very similar to General Zod from Man of Steel. Oh, yeah. One. <laughs> yes. Uh, and and I, I think it should be mentioned that there is a, a very, uh, very close uh, ripping off of the dialogue from Man of Steel mm -hmm. uh, that uh, Diana in this movie, she says, I can never be a part of that when she's talking about the temptation. And mm -hmm. Clark in Man of Steel says, I can't be a part of this. Yeah. So it's very, it's very similar in how that they react to this. But I don't know. That's a good question because I think Diana at this point, I think she's seen the bad stuff. She's seen the bad side of mankind and she does not like it. I Maybe she would be vulnerable at this point to be like, hey, you make a good point. When they're bad, they're really bad and that's not good. But I don't know. I think she... Would she think about a character like Charlie, who, who's been an assassin, who has tried to kill people, and but he's also a really sweet guy who sings for his friends? Mm -hmm. Would she consider both of those sides as being um, uh, what makes up the person, what makes them whole, and that that's something, even if they have bad in them, they they need all of themselves to, to be a, a whole, complete person? I, I don't know. I don't know mm -hmm. how she would... Uh, way both of those those elements yeah and that would if this movie was even more philosophical i think they would take up things like that like uh you know because it kind of does like the pop philosophy of like hey we all have the good and the bad inside of us and we want to try to choose the good or choose love but like a deeper philosophy is like can the good even exist without the evil do we only have a good side because we also have a, a bad side at the same time and uh can you have one without the other? That's like a much more complicated sort of philosophical question that people have been grappling with for like centuries. Yeah. And this movie, I, I don't think this movie took it to that level. Uh, I think they took it more on the, it's, they do go beyond like childhood where you think there's good people and bad people. They go beyond that to say like, really there's good and bad inside of the same person. Um, but then they don't try to go that next level of like, does it have to be that way? Or could we like try to make the world all good people? Is that even possible? Well, I don't know if they needed to do that in this film because in Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, I mean, <laughs> Lex Luthor 
basically outlines the problem of evil. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he mm-hmm. basically spells it out in that film. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's a I think it's a good point that um, that there is something to be said about the temptation in this scene hearkening back to the Garden of Eden and Satan's temptation and how the giving into that temptation is what uh, creates the fall of man and, and what brings sin into the world. And so under that philosophical, theological uh, perspective, sin is just something that we have to deal with. It's something that we have to fight all the time, and we have to strive to be better than that. We have to uh, try to overcome the sin in the world. And so I think you make a really good point that maybe the the bad is something that we have to deal with, but we have to try to rise above it uh, as much as we can. So yeah, I I think it's a really good uh, philosophical question to ask. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and before we wrap up, too, I want to mention um, when we were talking about the connections to Man of Steel, you mentioned the dialogue, which is definitely very, very close there in the hero rejecting the temptation. The other thing, too, is just the use of like a dream kind of visual um, in Man of Steel. Zod kind of goes into Kal-El's mind and then, you know, interacts with him through this vision of building a new Krypton. And here, uh, Ares goes through the lasso and like gives Diana this vision of, hey, we can take this destruction and we can turn it into a lush, green, you know, healthy planet. It's kind of interesting that there's multiple aspects of Man of Steel, Wonder Woman, both the origin stories for the hero, both being tempted by the villain, both through a vision kind of sequence, and then both times the hero says, I cannot be a part of this. I really like that myself because I think it gives it gives us an insight into who these characters are. It makes them heroes. The fact that they would reject this mm-hmm. is what makes them a hero. So I really like getting to see that from both, you know, Clark and Man of Steel and Diana and Wonder Woman. Right. And it's also it's a real rejection because like if the villains were just very stereotypical, simple villains, then obviously anybody would reject them. But with Zod and with Ares, like, no, there's actually a little bit of, there's kind of a real thing there to their temptation. Like, Zod is saying, like, hey, we could remake Krypton, the planet of your birth, you know, your parents that you, you know, have only recently found out about. Like, wouldn't you want to be part of bringing back that whole civilization of Krypton? That's not an unreasonable thing to at least bring up. Um, And then here, Ares, like, hey men have caused a lot of pain and suffering and they've kind of ruined the world. It was a lot better before them. Wouldn't it be good to help me like go back to, you know, more idealistic kind of perfect world. That's not a crazy thing to bring up. You know, there's a little bit of, you know, truth to what he's saying about mankind causing pain and destruction and stuff. So it's just good where the villain, the villain has a a little bit of a point to what they're saying, but the hero sees the kind of bigger issue and makes the right call. Yeah, it's a real temptation, and I think what's remarkable about both of those examples, uh, and especially Diana in this movie, that uh, she has a real conviction. She's gone through all of this sequence of events, you know, operating on feelings and emotions and revenge, and here she's having to thoughtfully consider what she's going to do, and she makes the right choice. All right, that's our analysis of scene 46 of Wonder Woman. So uh, next up, we will uh, get into the fight where it's enough talking. Uh, They're going to get into some battling between uh, Wonder Woman and Ares. But in the meantime, you can check out Suicide Squadcast or Man of Steel Answers, two of the inspirations for this podcast. Thanks to all of you for listening. And if you'd like to be entered in giveaways or get some bonus content, then check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash JLU podcast.